Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. One of the greatest mysteries, if not the greatest mystery in so-called science, is the mystery of life. How did we get life from seemingly nothing? Where did life come from? It's a mystery because it's a problem that science by itself cannot seem to solve. We have all the theories that circulate around evolution or the Big Bang Theory about how life maybe evolved or changed or whatever those theories are, but they can't answer that fundamental question, what is life? Even as we uncover the DNA structure and the entire human genetic code, we can't look at those building blocks and all the proteins and all the things that go into making life and say, this is how we get life. We see how it works. We see how the situation unfolds, but we don't know how this situation started. Of course, we as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, know who the creator of life is, is God. Through his son, Jesus Christ, the gospel writer John says in John chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, everything was made by him, that is Jesus, and without, without him, not anything was made that was made. And then he makes this bold statement in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. So we know where life comes from. We know where it started. We have the answer for that. But that might only answer in our minds the question of physical life. But what is true life? What do we mean by spiritual life? What we celebrated here today in this picture of baptism, that we are buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. We didn't receive physical life through faith in Jesus Christ, so what kind of life are we talking about? We're talking about that kind of life that was, number one, lost in Adam's fall. Look back at chapter 5, verse 12 of Romans. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So we see some semblance of life there. There's physical life, but there's also this spiritual life, which Adam, because of his sin, lost. He did not physically die on that day of the fall, but there was a spiritual death that took, took place. And the good news of the gospel is that in the midst of that spiritual death, that separation from God under the fall and the curse of sin, God has sent the solution in his son, Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 5, verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, that is Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life 
Through the one man, Jesus Christ. So there's the essence of the gospel. Through Adam, we have inherited spiritual death and separation from God. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive this spiritual life. And we all say, amen, spiritual life. I've been born again. I've been saved. But maybe the question for now is, what now? As we further unpack these these benefits of justification as we've been going through the book of Romans... Justified by faith in Christ. Given peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Having life in Christ through faith. What do we do now with that life? When we look at this mystery of spiritual life, how did we get here? What does it mean? And what does it look like now? Look at Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 1 as we read today. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness." For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Number one today, let's talk about what we mean by this new life in Jesus Christ. This new life we have through justification in him. Well, the essence of the gospel is found maybe in another way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. A very, very familiar passage for all of us, maybe a memory verse for many of you. Any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. If any man is in Christ by faith, he is a new creation. Now, this does not just mean that when you come to Christ, you turn over a new leaf. Or that you receive a second chance. Or start over. It is, it is all those things, but it's gloriously more than that. To be a new creation in Jesus Christ doesn't just mean you get a do-over. It means that you have moved, as Jarrett taught us last week, from being in Adam and the old creation and the old man to this new creation inaugurated through this new Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, by faith in Christ, you have been justified, forgiven of your sins, and given this new life as part of a brand new creation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul begins there today, but he begins with a question. What shall we say then in verse 1? Back in chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, 
But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So if we're looking at this concept of being a new creation in Christ and having new life in Christ, and Paul says there in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Someone steps in to say, chapter 6, verse 1, so Paul, is this how it works? If grace abounds where sin is, then just keep on sinning? If we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone, apart from our good works, Does that mean, Paul, that our good works don't matter? Now, Paul has been dealing with these sort of silly arguments in the past. He's dealt with people asking these sort of hypothetical questions. And this is a common response to the gospel of God's free grace in Christ. It's a common objection to justification by faith alone apart from good works. Someone will look at you and say, oh, well, you Baptists just believe that you can just go do what you want. You said the prayer, you did the thing, you got saved, and now you can just live however you want. Is that what you believe? Of course that's not what we believe, and that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what Paul is teaching. But someone might ask, so what? Keep sinning, it doesn't matter. The works are not important. I want to introduce you to a big $10 theological word, and I'm going to explain everything about what it means today. It's an important word. That word is antinomianism. Antinomian. If you look at that word, you see a combination of two words. The word anti, you know what that means, right? Against. And we see sort of the root word from the Greek word namos, which means law. And so someone who is antinomian is anti-law. And this is a heresy, a false teaching that says because we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, the law doesn't matter anymore. Good works don't matter anymore. And that if someone tries to say that you as a Christian should produce good works or you should produce fruit or there should be evidence of faith in your life, if someone tries to tell you that, well, they're a false teacher. That's what antinomians say. The law doesn't matter. Works don't matter. Disobedience to God doesn't matter. And of course, this is not what Paul teaches. It is not what the New Testament teaches. And it is not what we mean by justification, by faith alone, in Christ alone. In fact, Paul answers that in verse 2. He says, by no means. Remember that big Greek word, meganoita, which I just translated as mega no. Shall we continue in sin that grace abounds? Verse 2, mega no, absolutely not. And then Paul asks us in verse 2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? If you think God's grace comes to you and saves you apart from your works, apart from your goodness, in fact, in spite of your sin, if you think God's grace comes to do that and then just leaves you as you are, it's a done deal. I did the thing. I said the prayer. I checked the box. I went to church. And now my life doesn't matter. What I do doesn't matter. You've missed the point of the gospel. Justification brings you into a right standing with God. It gives you peace with God. It gives you reconciliation with God. But listen here, it also gives you new life. And just as much as a baby is born physically into the world and begins to grow and come into that life he has been given physically, so if you are born spiritually and you have spiritual life, you should be growing spiritually. 
And that's what Paul is telling us here. Justification by grace through faith in Christ brings us peace with God, reconciliation with God, but it also brings us new life in God. I want you to notice how he talks about this life in verse 2. By no means, how can we who died to sin? It's a unique, a unique way to introduce this concept of life, isn't it? You have a new life in Christ because you died. You have new life in Jesus because there has been a death. We talked about that death last week in chapter 5. We saw that Adam, by sin, brought death. But the good news of the gospel is that though Adam, by sin, brought death, Christ, by righteousness, brings life. And so we're presented with a choice here, aren't we? We can continue to live in Adam and be dead to God, or we can die to Adam and live to God. Michael Byrd, in his commentary on Romans, said this, For believers, sin is no longer their status, their state, or their master. You cannot live in sin land when the government posts your obituary in its local newspaper. And why would you want to remain there anyway when you recently received a letter notifying you that you had just inherited Graceland? Now, not where Elvis lived, but actual God's grace, salvation land. If you have died here, why would you want to continue to live there, especially when you have inherited so much more through faith in Christ? And that's Paul's question. If you have really experienced the life-changing grace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone, apart from works, you can't go on to say, my works don't matter. No, now they matter even more because I've been born again and filled with God's Holy Spirit and his power to live the way he wants me to live. There is a positional reality in justification. And by positional, I mean when you come to faith in Christ, you are declared in that moment freed from sin, forgiven of sin, and made new in Jesus Christ. Justification, listen to me, is not a process. Justification is not this uh, climbing up a hill to be made right with God. No, apart from our works, apart from our effort, apart from our trying, we are declared righteous through faith in Christ alone. But from that moment, as we confess today in our article on sanctification, new life is there and growth should begin. You are positionally righteous in Christ. But now through sanctification and growth, you are told to live like it. Salvation does not give you a license to sin without fear of the consequences. If that's how you view salvation, I checked the box, I did the thing, I'm good to go, I done, nothing else matters. You're not saved and you've missed the point. Coming to faith in Christ is a complete change of the inner person. And it does not come with a license to sin. It comes with a freedom to live. To live according to the word of God and the precepts that he has laid down for us in scripture. And that's why Paul, I think, gets a little fired up in verse 3 with a rebuke. When you see this phrase, do you not know? That's Paul's nice way of saying You should know, you should know, verse 3, 
that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. You should know this, Christians. This is basic stuff. You have been baptized. Now, we see that word, and we might immediately think of what we saw today. And Paul may have that in mind here. A lot of sources say he does. A lot of sources say he doesn't. The word baptize just means to plunge or to immerse. And so the question that scholars have debated in this passage is, is Paul referring to water baptism, believer's baptism, whereby we are united to faith, uh, by faith we're united to Christ in this picture of baptism, or is he referring to just simple union with Christ by faith? If we take the language out of it, baptize, and just say, all of you who have been plunged into Christ have been plunged into his death, you see that it's more than just about the picture of baptism. Now, I think Paul is probably talking about both. He might be saying that in that picture of baptism that you saw today, we see a picture of dying with Christ. But baptism itself doesn't do that for you. Only faith in Christ unites you to the death of Christ. But baptism in the local church is a beautiful picture of that union with Christ. So whatever Paul means, he's saying that whether in the act of baptism or just simply through faith in Christ, you have been in in a visible way or spiritual way united to the death of Jesus Christ. Specifically, he says in verse 3, you were baptized into his death. Now, one of the arguments I find interesting is that Jesus refers to his own death as a sort of baptism. In Mark 10, 38, Jesus talking to his disciples, he tells them, you are not able to take the cup that I'm taking or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. And they're always arguing about who wants to be greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus reminds them, you're not able to drink my cup. You're not able to be baptized with this baptism. He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about the baptism of his death. He says it again in Luke chapter 12, verse 50. He likens his death to this baptism. And he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus wasn't talking about an immersion in water. He was talking about his immersion, his being plunged into the wrath and the fury and the anger of God his Father for the sins of his people. That's the baptism Jesus was talking about. This baptism that takes the penalty of sin, the punishment for sin upon him. Our baptism in water can't be that, but it certainly points us to that. That we are uniting in this physical, visible way to what Jesus has done for us by being plunged into the very wrath of God on our behalf. Baptism points us to this death and burial of Jesus for sinners like you and me. And it points us to this sort of paradox invitation of the gospel. The seemingly contradictory invitation of the gospel, which is what? The invitation is come and live. How do I live? By dying. By dying to yourself, dying to your sin, so that you might live to Christ. Through faith in Christ, we are plunged or immersed into that baptism. 
the baptism of his death. We die to sin in him by faith alone. And if we have been plunged into that death, if we've been plunged into this death to sin, listen, we don't live there anymore. We don't live there anymore. A new life, a new home, a new place, a new Lord, a new master. Pictured there in that beautiful picture of baptism. Paul goes on in verse 4, We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is this picture of being dead and buried with Christ. But we know that's not the end of the story, don't we? That wasn't the end of Jesus' story, his death and his burial. No, on that third day, he rose from the dead. So when we're united with him in that picture of baptism, we are dead and buried to the old man and raised, as Pastor Matt said, to walk in newness of life. Was the cross the end for Jesus? Was the tomb the end for Jesus? Of course not. There was new life, resurrection, he says, by the glory of God the Father. And I want you to remember what Paul said back in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. You know this one by heart. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet here we have this promise that Jesus Christ was raised to life by what? The glory of God the Father. And if we died to sin in him by faith, We are also raised to new life in him. And so that same glory that raised Jesus from the dead, the same glory of which we fall so miserably short in our sin, is the same glory that raises us to spiritual life through faith in Christ. That is, in Christ, the power and the glory of God, the same power that created the universe, The same power that breathed life into Adam, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is the same power that brings you to spiritual life in Jesus Christ and now fills you with his Holy Spirit. My question for you today is, do you know this life through faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know that you have died that death to the old man, that death to sin? Do you know that you've been raised to walk in newness of life through Jesus Christ by faith alone, in Christ alone? Is that your story here this morning? If you're a believer here today, I want you to rejoice with me that this is your story. That when you came to faith in Christ, when you were saved, when you became a Christian, as Tim Keller says, you were united to Christ so that everything that is true of him is now legally true of you. If you're a believer, that is your story through faith in Jesus Christ. You've been buried with him, you've been raised with him, and you have new life in him. Unbelievers today, you need to repent. Turn to Jesus Christ in faith so that you may also take this plunge into the story of his death and his burial and his resurrection. By faith in Christ, die to the old man and receive this new life through him. Not only do we have a new life, secondly today we have a new freedom. Verse 5 gives us this summary. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We've been united in his death. 
We have died with him to sin, and the opposite side of that coin is that we've been raised to walk in newness of life with him. And listen, just in case you hear that word resurrection or eternal life or raised to walk in newness of life, and you're thinking just of heaven, in other words, you say, amen, pastor, I believe I've been raised, I believe in the resurrection, that will happen one day. When the trumpet sounds, the archangel cries, and the dead are Christ are raised. Yeah, I believe in that resurrection. No, you have a resurrection right now through faith in Jesus Christ. Hear what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You who were dead in sins and trespasses, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You get the picture Paul's painting? You were dead in your sins and trespasses, unable to do anything about it, unable to contribute anything to it. You were dead. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. If you have a hope of eternal life then, if you have a hope of a resurrection sometime then, here's the good news for you this morning, believer. You have that resurrection power, that eternal life living within you right now. You have been raised through faith in Jesus Christ. You have been raised by the power and the glory of God the Father right now. You have new life in Christ right now. And so we go back to the question from verse 1. If we have that new life, if we have that new position, if we have that new power, shall we just go on living as we did before? Verse 6, Paul says, we know. Again, that's just a way of him saying, you should know this. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. If there is new life in Christ, if you claim to have that, you have died to Adam. In fact, Paul says that old man has been destroyed. That old man has been crucified. Paul calls it the body of sin. Just this way of saying that sin that encompasses our whole person has been put to death. And we have new life now in Christ. Paul calls it the old self, the old man. It has been crucified and killed and it no longer lives. In Adam, sin is still master. Self is still Lord. But if you're in Christ, you have a new Lord. You have a new master. You have a new life. And now you have a new freedom. And again, I love these paradoxes of the gospel. If you want to live, you must die. And if you want to be free, you must submit. You must die to yourself to live to Christ. And you must forfeit the old master. To serve the new one, Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. 
Paul says, it's not even I who live anymore, but Christ who lives within me. Jesus gives this invitation to the gospel in Luke 9, 23. You want to follow me, Jesus says? You want to follow me? Come and follow me. You're welcome to follow me, but here's what it means. Take up your cross. Deny yourself daily and follow me. It's that upside-down invitation of the gospel. Come live by dying. Come live by taking up a cross. Come receive freedom by receiving a new Lord. In verse 9, Paul shows us the triumph in this. We know, I'm sorry, verse, verse 7 and 8, 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. This is that upside down invitation of the gospel. If we have died with Christ, we'll live in him. If we submit ourselves to him as his slaves, we will have freedom in him. If we believe that we have died with him, we will also live with him. And then we come to the triumph in verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Lest you think this message of death and slavery is one of oppression. Why would I want to come to Christ if it means death, if it means slavery to him? That death means life. That slavery means freedom. Because when you look at the very death of Jesus, you do not see defeat, but you see triumph. But Paul uses this language in verse 9 that death no longer has dominion over Jesus. It obviously indicates that at least at some point, death did have dominion over Jesus. And the debate rages as to whether this means just in his death on the cross, the period that he was dead in the tomb, or does it encompass all of Jesus' earthly life from his incarnation to his suffering and his death and his burial? Does it refer to the fact that Jesus, just like the rest of us, as a true man, right? Absolutely, truly human. Not just man-like, but truly man experienced pain and sickness and suffering and ultimately death. I think when Paul says he was no, he no longer under the dominion of death, that's what it points to. That in Jesus' earthly life, in his incarnation, he was subjected to those things. But here's the good news in verse 9. He is subjected to death no longer. And he died and he rose from the dead never to die again. Y'all believe that today? I got a little tambourine up here. I don't know who put it here, but somebody put a little tambourine for me. I'm not going to ring it, but you're going to have to get a little more excited about the resurrection of Jesus Christ than that. Did Jesus rise from the dead or not? Help us. Jesus was raised from the dead never to die again. The good news for you here is that like people in the New Testament who were raised from the dead, they were raised temporarily only to die again. Lazarus was raised from the dead. The widow of Nain's son was raised from the dead. Many people experienced a, quote, resurrection, but it wasn't a true resurrection because they would go on to die again. But not Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus was raised. 
never to die again. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, that Jesus is risen from the dead and he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits of those who have gone ahead. Look at verse 10. For the death he died to sin once for all, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. This death that Jesus died, he died for sin, and the life he now lives in the resurrection is a life to God. And because Jesus is just the first fruits of that life, you know what Paul is saying there? That means there's more to come. And that through faith in him, that resurrection life that we know right now through faith in him will one day be made sight when he does come and we are raised to life forever with him. Jesus subjected himself to the domain and the dominion of sin so that he might live forever and so that he might give you life forever. This is a promise that we receive by faith. We died with him. We are raised with him. Yes, it is a promise for then and there and on that day. But look at verse 11. It's also a promise for now. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, I know you're not really paying attention to this much. And I wasn't really either until studying for this passage. But here in verse 11, six chapters in, is the first real imperative that we have in the book of Romans. By imperative, I just mean a command. Do this or don't do this. Everything to this point has been descriptive. What God has done, the promises God has made, what you can receive through faith in Christ. This is the first time in six chapters here in verse 11 that we have an imperative, something for us to actually do. And I want you to notice what it is. So you also must consider yourselves. I love that the first command in Romans is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is not not a list of demands. It is not a list of prohibitions. But it says you must consider. You must account yourself. You must reckon yourself. You must understand your status through faith in Christ as one who is dead to sin and alive to God through faith in Christ. So that for you, believer... Obedience doesn't flow from your self-innate goodness. But your obedience now flows from who you are in Christ. In other words, you don't obey God to attain this standing with Christ, but you obey as an outflow of who you are in Christ. The first command in this whole book is now remember who you are. Remember who you are in Christ And then begin to live like it. This new life you have through faith in Christ, this new freedom you have through faith in Christ, does not come as a result of something that you have done in your righteousness. It comes as a result of new life from the old man to the new man, being raised to newness of life in Jesus Christ, being dead in your sins and trespasses, and now living in this newness of life. Not a freedom or a life to, quote, do whatever you want and call it grace, but a freedom and a life to now live, end of chapter, or chapter 6, verse 4, the end of that, to walk in newness of life. 
again to answer the objection from verse 1. So what are you saying, Paul? If we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and not works, sin doesn't matter anymore? Paul says, of course not. Your sin matters. Your obedience matters. Your works matters. The old gospel song says, thanks to Calvary, we don't live there anymore. We've died to sin land, and we live in grace land. We've been brought to new life and new freedom. Listen, not merely through Jesus and not merely by Jesus, but we've been brought there in and with Jesus. That's what union with Christ by faith is all about. Not just by and through him, but in and with him. How could such a union leave you the same? How could such a union leave you persisting in your rebellion and your license to sin? It might lead some of us this morning to ask some hard questions here today. What does my lack of conviction, what does my lack of care say about my salvation? What does my disregard for God's law, what does my disregard for holiness say about my walk with him? Listen, what does my life, my priorities, my desires, what do my affections say about my relationship with God? Who or what is your true Lord? Is it Jesus or is it yourself? Is it your sin? Is it Satan? Maybe you did a thing and you said a thing way back in the day. Check the box, walk the aisle, said the prayer, repeat after me, raise your hand, baptize, communion, Sunday school, brought your Bible, memory verses, whatever it is. Maybe you did that back then, way back there. Would you describe your life since then as new or the same? Oh, Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 21, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. But I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Have you merely said, Lord, Lord, without crucifying your old man? Have you merely said, Lord, Lord, without leaving your old taskmaster behind and submitting to Jesus? This morning, this is what true justification by faith alone in Christ alone looks like. Yes, it looks like bringing nothing to God to receive everything from him. It looks like submitting yourself as a sinner to him, and he receives you as you are, fills you with his Holy Spirit. But then there must be a change. Having been united to Jesus by faith alone, you have a new life, you have a new freedom. And how can such a change take place in you? And nothing actually change. Lastly today, these last verses, we have new commands. We had that first imperative in verse 11, and now we see some more in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as sin for instruments, as sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments. For righteousness. Let not sin reign or rule. Got to thinking about the end of the book of Joshua. And if Joshua is on his deathbed, 
The conquest has been completed. The land belongs to Israel. We're about to go into the book of Judges and the beginning of this nation. All the liberty has been won. All the freedom has been given. The conquest is done. And at the end of the book of Joshua, what does Joshua say to the people? You've got to choose today who you will serve. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. Freedom is yours. Life is yours. Justification is yours. Now choose whom you will serve. Will you serve the old self or will you serve Christ? Let not sin, verse 12, reign in your mortal bodies. Let not sin reign so as to command your obedience. Positionally, you have new life in Christ. You're declared righteous. You're declared forgiven. The war is over. It's won. The triumph has been won. But the battle still rages. A death has occurred, but the corpse still clings to us. And the question for you today, Christian, is why do you keep submitting to the corpse? Why do you keep obeying the dead man that's chained to you? It once reigned, but it doesn't reign anymore. Grace now reigns, chapter 5, verse 21. Grace now reigns through faith in Christ. And this choice Paul presents in verse 13 as this beautiful picture of how we present ourselves. Not in terms of our, our physical appearance and how we present ourselves in the world, but to whom we are presenting ourselves. It's language of sacrifice. It's almost ritualistic language of sacrifice as the priest would present the offering to the Lord. We hear the same language in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, don't we? I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, not to, or to present yourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. What does it say? Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the same language Paul is using here. It's one of sacrifice. And the question for you, believer, is this. Who will you give yourself to? To whom are you presenting yourself? Are you presenting yourself to sin and to the world and to unrighteousness, which equals conformity to the world? Or are you presenting yourself to Christ, which brings what Paul says there in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the renewal of your mind. To whom, there's a fly now, praise the Lord. To whom are you presenting yourselves? Conformity or transformation? Slavery or freedom? Life or death? If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You have justification. You have peace with God. You have life in God. You have freedom with God. You have a new Lord, a new master, a new king. And here's the question for you today. Does your life and your heart reflect that? Or does your life and your priorities and your passions belie your confession and your profession of faith? There's a real test here. Who or what is your Lord? Who or what is your master? And if you begin to take account of your priorities and your affections and your desires and your time, you'll quickly see who your Lord and master is or what your Lord and master is. But I want you to know at the end here today in verse 14, there is good news. Sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. There's good news here for you. 
There's a promise for you here, believer. It flies up in my head. I just know it. There's good news for you. If you're a Christian today, you know this battle. Don't you? You you sit here and you listen about sanctification being a war. A fight in your inner man between the old man and the new man. Between sin and righteousness. You know that war. If you're in Christ, you know that battle. And listen, Christian, believer, maybe you're here today in a place of despair because of some sin or some temptation or some battle or some struggle. And maybe you ask like Paul in chapter 7, verse 24, Oh, wretched man who who I am, who will save me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am, who will save me? Maybe you know that battle. Maybe you know that struggle even here this morning, believer. The good news comes in chapter 7, verse 25. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will give me the victory over my sin and my temptation? It feels like an uphill battle every day, every moment, every minute. One I'm losing, one that I fail at. Who's going to give me the victory? It's certainly not me. Praise be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will have victory at last over sin. And that's what Paul says in verse 14. Sin will have no dominion over you. The tense and the mood here, just listen to me today, is not a command for you to do something. The tense does not come to say, he's already said that. Let not sin have dominion. Don't present your bodies. The good news here is a promise. Something that is certain. Sin will not have the final word in your life, believer. Sin will not have the final chapter in your story, believer. You are one with Christ through faith. His death is counted as yours. His life is counted to yours. And in him, you are justified, you have peace with God, you are reconciled to God, you have the promises of God, you are a new creation in God, you have the life of God, you have the freedom of God, and the promises that he gives you through faith in Christ, he will bring to completion. It's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he has, as if it already were done, glorified. So, believer, keep fighting. Keep struggling. Do not give up, because the good news for you, believer, is that sin has lost. And you might say to me today, Pastor, you don't know what my sin is. You don't know what my struggle is. You don't know what my besetting temptation is. You don't know the weight and the burden that I bear. And the good news for you today is I don't have to know that. Jesus does. And he died for you anyway. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, even when we were sinners, Christ died for you. And the invitation he gives you today is not just to sit back and relax but to keep fighting, to keep struggling. Believer, do not allow yourself to become the victim to that dead man. Do not let sin reign as if you're still a slave to it. Realize who you are in Christ and begin to act like it and to live like it by his power. Get on up, 
shake yourself off, and fight to the death against sin because the victory has already been won in Christ. Unbelievers here today, unbelievers, you are yet under the domain and the dominion of sin. To quote Bird from earlier, you are still living in sin land. Hear the invitation of the gospel today, unbeliever. Come and die so that you might live. Come submit to Jesus as Lord so that you might have freedom. The invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11 speaks about this kind of slavery. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. Verse 30, what does it say? Take my yoke upon you. It is light and it is easy. Enter into this victory through faith in Jesus. Pass from death to life through faith in him. Receive the life of God by faith in Jesus Christ, who is himself the life and the light of men. Unbeliever this morning, die to yourself to know the life of God. Surrender yourself to know the freedom of God through faith in Jesus Christ who is, as he says in John 14, 6, the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, come to the Father through him today. Our God and our Father, we love you. We thank you for your word that brings conviction of sin, that shows us who we are, and also gives us great and precious promises of what you've done. And so, God, help us today as believers to rejoice in what we have through Christ. And, God, for unbelievers here today, convict them of their sin. Draw them to faith and repentance in Christ Jesus. And, God, if there are believers here today who are struggling with sin or temptation or besetting problem or struggle, help them today to realize the victory they have in you and to live in that victory. Maybe there's a believer here today who's not yet professed their faith in baptism. Convict their heart today of that disobedience and reveal to them what it means to be united in that picture of what is theirs through faith in Christ alone. God, whatever it is you have for us today, whatever it is you would teach us by your spirit, we ask that you would do it. Use the frail words that we've been speaking today to convict hearts to draw sinners to repentance, and to give growth to your children. By the power of your Holy Spirit, and the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray and ask. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806 935-5604. We'll see you next time.